Hello and welcome to this, the 32nd episode in this second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple. Bar and this second series is brought to you thanks to the very generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland. Now, because of that support, each week we bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we won't ever charge for this podcast, but we are looking for you to go and put your money where your mouth is and put your money into Irish theatre. The whole ethos behind this podcast is to support promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. And how best can you support? Simply go and buy yourself some tickets. It's the lifeblood of Irish theatre. Ticket sales are the way forward. It's the most direct way you can come and support what we do. And uh, also, in return for that support, you get to get out and have a great night out of the theatre. Everybody wins. If perhaps you find that tickets are outside your reach this week or this month, though, maybe head on over to a crowdsourcing website, the likes of a fundit.ie or an Indiegogo, and see if there's a theatre project over there you might like to support i know that the good folks at chaos factory have a campaign running over at indiegogo at the moment that is one that i will be supporting um support there often starts from as low as a fiver and there's always great rewards in return for your donations and as we tell you each week there's a whole heap of ways you can support without even having to put your hand in your pocket go and tell people about this podcast whether that's in person over a cup of coffee or a pint or by sharing the link as a facebook post or maybe retweeting the link on twitter or a post on instagram or anywhere else the more you can get the word out about us the more we can afford a platform to the guests that we have to let them get the word out about their work and their career so spreading the word about us is a great way of helping do go and subscribe to the podcast on itunes if you're an apple user but of course these episodes are streamable and available for direct download at riseproductions.ie go back and listen to all the other episodes uh, both in this second series and indeed the original series that bumps us up in a chart position which is uh, all very useful leave us a review on itunes if you would that's one that we'd really ask you to go and take a minute out of your day if you've been enjoying these episodes enjoying these chats finding them useful do please take a minute out of your day to go and leave us a review it's a massive help to us in terms of algorithms and chart position and uh, and profile and platform and get, helping us to get the word out there uh, if a review might seem like 60 seconds is going to be too long out of your day maybe just click to rate us on their five star rating system that's a one click deal it's as simple as that you can as ever follow us on facebook we are facebook.com forward slash rise productions ireland or you can follow us on Twitter we are at Rise Ireland and so it's been another busy week at Rise Towers or indeed not at Rise Towers the case may be because I was over in Manhattan for a week um, just checking out a whole shit ton of theatre basically seeing as much as I possibly could over the five days um, nice to get a chance to get that break after uh, being on the road for so long I guess you know the way to celebrate not living out of a suitcase is to go and live out of a suitcase for a week as only a genius like me could do but it was a fantastic trip really useful um, and yes theatre nerd that I am I did go and see Idina Menzel show skin tight at the roundabout theater three times in my four night stay um it looks she's a remarkable performer it's actually a really great play um and it was a fascinating experience to be there through through this kind of preview process that they're going through at the moment i mean you know from our perspective by the time i was seeing the show they were well over a week into previews which you know as far as we'd be concerned here in ireland would be after open at night so the show was well kind of bedded in 
But uh, interesting to see the writer and the director there at the back of the room, every single performance, you know, taking notes, feeding back script notes, uh, slight blocking changes, small little tweaks here and there, which is kind of fascinating to see because, you know, from our perspective, usually when we go and see a show, we go and see it once and that's it. The only time you get a longer engagement or a more detailed engagement over a number of performances over a a period of time would be when you'd be working on a show. Um, So it was fascinating for me to kind of get that sneak peek behind the curtain um, and watch how the show was evolving and also you just get to be able to watch the show in a different way um so kind of over the three performances the first time i went to see the show i just went to see the show the second time i went i managed to get front row seats and essentially just did a player cam like sky sports style a player cam on edina for the entire thing and just watched her and followed her track through the show which was kind of phenomenal to be that up close and watch how she listens and how she's playing off uh other stuff when the you know when the spotlight metaphorically and literally is not on her um was really fascinating really really intricate work beautifully detailed like such great i mean it's again it's the thing i always come back to when i watch people and i see them listening uh full body listening fully engaged nothing in the world makes me happier it's the thing that gets me really excited about a performer and uh, and she was phenomenal so great and then the third time i kind of went back and rewatched it again kind of as kind of with my work hat on really just watching okay well look now if this was my production what would i be doing with it what would i be tweaking what am i looking for what's what's staying consistent what do i feel it could still bump up in places um and so kind of i mean this might sound a bit weird but it almost felt like a a kind of an unofficial you know assistant director gig or you're going into you know observation to watch another person work it kind of felt like i was treating it like that um and really useful for me to do it i, I really enjoyed it also meant to go and see the wonderful denzel washington and the iceman cometh i uh, didn't even know colomini was in it and there was colomini soon the show opened so that was good crack um and i also of course crammed in some pro wrestling while i was over there I went to a house of glory show out in queens um it was hectic it was a hectic week i crammed an awful lot into a short period of time but really worth it and um i feel quite invigorated after it kind of I'm, I'm up for making more work which is really useful coming at the end of a long run uh, like that to be feeling up and raring to go is a really happy place to be so um i guess i'm gonna have to put the thing cap on and, and work out what we're doing next uh, and work out when we can announce it to you guys as well because there's all kinds of exciting stuff going on that we can't talk about just quite yet but we will be talking about very very soon it's all very exciting lads things are kicking off it's all about to get very real and so look that brings us to our guest this week and this is a special one for me because it is port marnock's finest gus mcdonough now me and gussie go back like over 25 years we grew up together we were drinking cans of cider in fields together as teenagers um we go back an awful long way and also even though we don't cover it in the chat we've actually worked together quite a few times over the years we did um serious money as part of the rough magic seeds uh gig and then also we made true enough together with megan reardon and if spillan hinks at the the fringe in 2010 um right as i was making fight night which was just a mental time um and you look gussie's the best we are great mates and have been for a couple of decades at this stage so let's get straight into it here he is the brilliant gus mcdonough the wonderful gus mcdonough on the podcast at long last hello my friend hey angle um take me back to the early days of port marnock you know, people talk about having a, a blessed existence as a child. You got to grow up with me. How magical was that for? <laughs> <laughs> Nearly got the straight face. Um, but come here, what's the, what, like, what was in the water in Port Warnock that there's me and you and Rido and Quivo Mali and various others knocking around? Um, I don't know. I think we just... We all had fairly, like, 
Nice, happy lives beside the beach. We grew up on the main streets, Port Martin. People don't know what the struggle was. Soft parents that kind of let us go and try to do what whatever no, we, we wanted. We had a hard life. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes our parents didn't pay for our insurance on the second family car. Do you know what I mean? That's a struggle. Yeah, I don't know. I suppose there is a few of us, yeah, and Sarah Burke as well. Yeah, all kinds of cool people. Mm. We should have a Hunger Games version to see who which of us is the best. Yeah. I think I think I'd be I'd be the most ruthless. <laughs> I, the best. I think Rito's the prettiest. Uh, I don't know what to make. Right, so look, as you know, I'm a big fan of theatrical families. Look at your theatrical family. Yeah. Right. So, good. That's excellent podcast guesting right there. If we go monosyllabic, you're getting a box. Um, right. So your mammy is Mae Vinglesby. Yes. Playwright um, extraordinaire. Yeah. Um, talk to me about growing up in the house with a playwright for a mammy. Um. Like I, w- I remember going to see a lot of theatre when I was small, and some of them was, would have been, um, like Mum was originally a school teacher, and then she was writing a bit on the side, and then started to write a little bit more. She was, she, her and my dad actually acted together in the Damer. Did they? Yeah. I never like knew that. Downstairs, you know what I'm talking about? It's yeah. like off Stephen's Green, downstairs only that church. <clears throat> so the Irish language place was a kind of bunch of them. Mom, Dad, I think Tobin, Donald Farmer, all those kind of heads were wow. hanging around with each other and putting on plays in Irish. So, um, yeah, that's where she started. And then she started to, to write for Theatre for Young People. She wrote some plays for Team. And I remember one of my first memories was seeing one of her shows come to, to St. Helens. Oh, really? Our school, yeah. The Firestone. Um. And it was all like elemental stuff, you know, about earth and water and a lot. And then the next one, yeah, she did some, I really liked some of those plays. It was an amazing play she did with a team called Earwigs. Yes. Yeah. Which I, kind of took over the world, didn't it? Yeah. Um, well, it, it was revived again, but I just remember, I remember watching that one, it was gone. And I think it was Donna Dini mm-hmm. and Alan Smith, maybe. Wow. Uh, but I remember watching it going, it was about, uh, like a, a dad thinking his son is is taking drugs. Right. Is doing drugs. Yes. But he's actually fix, fixing a motorbike. <laughs> but it was for quite a young audience, but it was about doing drugs. Yeah. And it wasn't, I don't think it was specific, but it wasn't like hash. You were, I remember being young, but going, no, you think he's doing drugs? Like bad ones. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it was a brilliant play. It was really good. And I remember them flicking characters really quick. I have a recollection of that as well. Um, yeah, so, you know, and then she went on to, she was right, right for Glen Row and Fair City, and she's written operas for young people as well, and then moved to do, write a lot for Barnstorm, but uh, she brought, we used to go to theatre a good bit, so I okay. do remember that, and kind of like, we're, we're not like a circusy family, but we're a bit, <laughs> the <laughs> shows that we would be brought to yeah. were like, when Footsburn came to town, yes. if I was small, we'd go to Footsburn, or... Um, I remember seeing like snow shows, Slavic yes. snow show, you know, those shows that really stick in your mind have gone well. Or um, there was another amazing one, Our Chaos. Did you remember that one? No. Like, this one was like a crazy circus. Okay. It was out by the square in Tallinn and it had lads like doing jumps on motocross bikes while juggling chainsaws. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. So they were the kind of shows my brothers to. Right. <laughs> um, she also wrote a couple of pantos though, didn't she? She wrote a rake of pantos, yeah. Um, all for the gaiety? Uh, no, a lot for the gaiety. I think five, six for the gaiety. Jesus. 
She's written some for the Tyverk uh, in Irish, and she's written some for the Black Box in Galway as well. Wow. Yeah. And, yeah. Panto's a, speci- a specific thing, though. People kind of go, ah, well, it's just kind of, oh, look, he's behind you, oh, no, he isn't, and kids. But there's much more to it than that, within the kind of the, the formal uh, structure of it and everything, isn't there? Yeah, there is. And tradi- they're possibly moving away from that sort of tradition of kind of a layered show that's one level for the kids and yeah. a second level for the adults more to kind of spectacle and more to um, just about the show yeah but uh, no they're brilliant they're brilliant pantos yeah um, and so of the 754 children in your house yeah most of you ended up in the business yeah yeah me <clears throat> Neil and uh, Sean that's kind of remarkable yeah <clears throat> but Brian was an actor as well Brian like when he was younger, yeah. was, I remember we ripping him out of it because years ago when they did uh, Bugsy Malone in the Olympia, yeah, and he was playing Knuckles, but I think whoever was playing Bugsy got like got really sick, so he had to take over. Oh well, and it was a cutout we had in the house. It was like an interview from the Irish press or something, <laughs> and he's quoted as saying, "I'm just very tired and I want to get home to my family." Oh man, that's glorious. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to forget that. Uh, well, no, me, now me and Neil and Sean, Neil and Sean's like have their own theatre company. Yeah, and like they're really successful and kind of touring all over the place all the time. They are, they're, they're working work. so hard, yeah. High, high Rock Productions. So like they're kind of doing, it's similar to what Team would have done, but you know, it's predominantly in the Irish language. Yeah. But it's the two of them and it's a, it's a huge workload. They, you know, they're writing shows, directing them, Putting them on, driving, driving the van, building the set, yeah, building the set, <laughs> selling the shows, programming. When can they squeeze a second school in on the Thursday and carry if they're still, yeah, in that neck of Ireland? Wow. But uh, it's going really well. And they have summer show as well, so yeah, they're but they're working hard. So when did you? Was there a big light bulb moment where you went, okay, right, I'm gonna go and do this for reals, and like career wise, or was it always just kind of, ah, I'll probably do that because it's better than doing a real job. I didn't think there was. I, got, I remember when I was in fifth year or sixth year, not knowing what I wanted to do yeah. at all. And when I was filling out CEO, not knowing. And I think my mom going, look, if you don't know what you want to do, you can waste a year doing an acting course. Is a <laughs> is an okay way to waste a year. Uh, I think she knew that the things I had put down, like some sort of vague business course yeah. or some sort of engineering weren't my cup of tea no but it's the kind of thing you put on a CAO yeah. oh, well that's vague that's enough what it, yeah. but it sounds like a real college thing yeah <laughs> it sounds like real but, so I didn't know I wanted to do it but then I think like my work experience when I was in fourth year I did the first part of it in the project when it, the project was actually kind of in rubble at the time and it was in the mint oh yeah of course on whatever happened to Baby Jane the corn exchange show Really? Yeah. Did you do work experience on that? Yeah, the first part. I saw that show. Yeah, it was great. I was helping build a, a mad staircase for it. And then the second work experience I did was in the Abbey on Terry Flynn. Really? Yeah. yeah. The famous Terry Flynn? That shows how old we are. Yeah. Don't tell people that. 27 next yeah. month. Um, holy shit, Bob. Yeah, so I didn't know... Like, But then when I, that's what I was thinking back to it going, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but actually... You know, between the skill play and then all the things I, just, I picked to do work experience. Did you do Playboy? Yeah. 
And you played, I old, played man. old Man. I remember it. My mum laughed just like she was. T- <laughs> I remember her saying, that was, You were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's lovely. And I don't think she meant it as terrible. She went, No, you were like, You were hilarious, but I'm, not, I'm just not quite sure it's supposed to be hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah. I kind of cut a bit deep because Dowie was always getting praised. He was he was Gar Private. He was oh, brilliant. Okay. In his, you know, Brian was brilliant in his show. Sean was brilliant. Sean was brilliant in all his shows, and Nilo as well was brilliant. Yeah. I remember coming home from school one day and coming into the gaff and seeing in the dining room Sean sat at the table with uh, a belt around his arm and a spoon and a syringe on the table. I was like, what the... I legged it out, freaking out. But he was doing one last white horse in the... In, in Holy jeez. I didn't have a clue. <laughs> I was just like, no way, Sean's is black. <laughs> why, why are people doing heroin in my yeah. Um Holy shitballs. I was gaff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's kind of wild. So, you ended up in... Do you like two and a half miles? That's where I, yeah. Then, then because mum suggested, look, do a course. And her kind of thinking was, even if you, you do into business or whatever, it'll, it gets you really good at dealing with people. Yeah. And, and public speaking and all those kind of yeah. things and how to interact. So I only put down DIT. And then I was kind of nervous. I went to you for the audition. Do you remember? Well, I, first of all, I convinced Rito, who was going to, trying to do fine arts he was going to NCAD yeah. and went come on look we're going to do an acting course that's one of the biggest regrets of my life it's <laughs> convincing Rito to be an actor yeah but I remember going to him and we practiced it and then I called up to you to go look will you check out my yes. thing and tell me if it's shit and what did I say you said thank god it's not shit yeah because that's my biggest fear because it was the same with Rito when he started talking about stuff I was going please don't make me have to lie to you about this not being good and just the relief when your mates go, I want to do this, and they go, "Oh shit, you're really good, excellent." Okay, this is great. We don't have to worry about it now. Um, yeah, so we did, we did the audition, me and Reed, and but that was the only. I remember then meeting like it was a mad group of people we were in college with. You know? Right, it was the most weird bunch of loopers. You kind of have oh, to be a little bit unhinged, so though, to go totally. to do that in the first place. And also, even I realised how... It's when I realised how <laughs> unhinged or really into it so many of these people were. Like, I hadn't done those other auditions. Oh, So yeah, I'd yeah. met people who'd met at Wales, and I'd met you at Trinity, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, yeah, I met you at Lambda or Rada, yeah. I'm still waiting to hear this intensity of focus on... It meant everything to them, that they were getting into yeah. something. So there was some people... When we all ended up in rap minds in a building with just loads of pianos, it was like <laughs> there was people who were really dis- this is not where they wanted to be. They were oh, really disappointed that they weren't in Rada. That they were the next in Trinity or in Rada. Or oh, Rada. okay. And then I think there was genuinely people like me who didn't know what they wanted to do, but put down this in the course and 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 possibly shouldn't have. You know, <laughs> they were scared of performance or like scared oh, okay. of. That level of interaction with people or not that interested. But you guys did have more academic stuff than most of that kind of... Yeah, it was a bit of a mess of a course when we were there. I think it's improved hugely. Okay. And looking at the success of like the pupils coming out now, yeah. it's a way higher strike rate than when I was there. When I was there, it was, yeah, it was a diploma in speech and drama, but it was kind of 
equally weighted between teaching someone to be a drama teacher okay. and then performance. But there's really good teachers, Pete McDermott, uh, who was, was running it, was brilliant, and Miriam O'Mara I, um, was a huge help. She was like the uh, Shakespeare coach and, okay. yeah, and voice. Thesis-wise, did you do a big thing on comedy and the nature of comedy? Yeah, I did a thesis on stand-up comedy as an actor's performance. How did that treat you? <laughs> Treated me well, yeah. I'm not the most academic, you know. It's like <laughs> I really struggled through it. I didn't. That was the other thing. I was. I wanted to act, so I. Yeah. I ended up deciding on doing it because I like stand-up comedy, and I thought I'd get to interview a few comedians, and it was interesting. It's basically asking the question, you know, if if you're an actor and a stand-up prepares a set for you, yeah, hands it to you, directs you, can you do the set and pull yourself off as a stand-up? As a stand-up. I suppose like the answer I came up with was no because once people start to echo, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it changes. Or one, you have to be able to to keep things funny and alive, no matter what's going on. So is stand up more, even within the set parameters of a routine, is it a bit more fluid and improv? Not improv. Well, but you know what I mean. But it depends. It depends on the comedians. Like the, some of the comedians I interviewed, very very loose. But then, you know, you hear comedians talk about about the timing of a joke in a yeah. set and it's even more than we talk about timing of a line really? it's to a T yeah. where there's comedians who might be running a, a gag for months and months and then finally find the length of pause they needed before that wow. line that gets them and then they will deliver that the same way right the way through right the way through well, well some of them you know yeah, I do I find that fascinating mm. um, so talking then about the early days having come through Rath Mines did you go straight to Hollywood immediately yeah straight to Hollywood same as myself um, no we came out the year after you yeah you that guys. Right. Um, so when I first came out of DIT I think one of the first gigs I did was probably Alone at Stance which a lot of people did at that time. <laughs> yeah. It was a small factory. Do you know people. what though? It's a really, really good show. Yeah. It's a really good show for an actor because yeah. there's no, there's not really much places to hide. You know, there's no. You're playing all those parts. You're physically playing the parts, and you yeah. have to commit to it. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I had a cool cast and a really good tour. It was a long tour, but we all we all got on like a house and fire. But I really like. I really liked. The style of that show as well. Yeah. I, I really enjoy that style of performance. Mm. Um, now there is a thing with those that show or any, any shows like that comedically where it's where you first start to see people's like getting laughs and applause mm. like a drug to them. Oh yeah. And things get a little loose. <laughs> <laughs> people you can see people roles. really starting to like need that laugh. Yeah. And th- without, no- without noticing it, things can morph, and then like it's only when you kind of step back, you're like, "Whoa, this has gone way off course." Okay. From, but, but we uh, we all got on really well, and it was a good show. Was it a weird thing to step into, given that it had been around and it had existed and it had life? I mean, are is, are you in full West End? You know, this is your track, and you go through this and you play it this way, and you deliver the line that way, or were you given much scope to find what it was for yourselves? Um, a bit of both. Okay. Like, 
there's a, a fairly tight choreography to it, obviously, yeah. because you know it's skipping from rugby matches to yeah. kids building bonfires to people drinking in the stands. But there was, thankfully, there was no. This is how this guy speaks. Yeah. This is where the gag is on that. Yeah, okay. Phys- physically, the what? And I'm someone who is grateful for those. You know, I think if you're in a show and someone's like, "By the way, there's a gag." This there. is how it works. I'm not gonna go. Could you believe that <laughs> he had the balls to tell me there's a gag there? I'm like, yeah, man. Yeah, give me the laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So no, it was it was really enjoyable. It was most of us were new. Pa Ryan had been in it before. Right. Uh, and he was really amazing at it. He's a good actor. He's a seriously good actor. Um, there was also then, you did quite a bit with Barnstorm, didn't you? Yeah, I ended up in Kilkenny for a couple of years, effectively. You know, I did five shows. And a lot of the, I, a lot of them are long, yeah. long tours, you know. You'd be maybe rehearsing before that. You'd rehearse from January. And then the tour, you wouldn't be back till May. Really? Yeah. That's a good long stretch mm. then. Yeah. Um, how did you find the process of making that kind of work and I guess sustaining that work then over those long runs? Is it tough? I loved it. I loved working down there. I think Philip and Vinny are oh, like, they're good pals now, but yeah. they're, they're brilliant people. Vinny's one of those, he would have been like involved with team he would have been yeah. on the board team and now he's um, one half of Barnstorm yeah. he's just one of he's, he's the kind of person that on his holidays goes and like is a election invigilator in like world torn countries that's how nice <laughs> that guy can do this um, but they're amazing I loved working down there I loved again I was talking to someone else about this the other day it's like there's not much places to hide in children's t- theatre, yeah. you know. you got to catch them. you got to catch them early and you got to keep a hold of them. Yeah. Uh, did some really good shows. Made some really good pals. First show I did down there, I did with John Morton. Yes. He's still a good pal to this day. And that's actually how I got friendly with a good few lads from Kilkenny. Um, Devious Theatre and yeah. uh, Microfilms, another company they had. So I did a bit of work. After I'd finished with Brian Stormway, I ended up going back down to do some work on microfilms. But, no, I loved, I, I love working in children's theatre. I suppose because of mom as well. I've seen so many yeah. children. But theatre for young people. That, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing, you know. I think it gets discounted very easily. Yes, of course. But if it's a good play, it's a good play. Yeah. Um, like um, the bus we did. Have you, did you see the bus? I'm pretty sure I did. You know, I'm going to be biased because Ma wrote it. Okay. <laughs> but it's unbelievably brilliantly entertaining play to go and see. Yeah. It's like going, you know, it's like if you're going to see Louis' shows. You don't need yeah. to be a kid to go see Louis' shows. Exactly. You have a ball. Yeah. Um, and the bus is brilliant. The whole set was just a bus. Was that the show where someone came out one night and in the opening line introduced you and said, oh, this is... Yes. That's... Uh, you have to tell the story. <laughs> That's when tours are get loose. Okay. I think we were in Tralee or something. And the start of the play, there's another actor who I'm not going to rat out, but he comes on stage and introduces my character. And yes. He's like, this is Degsy. Degsy's really good at football. And he came on, and there'd been a little bit of kind of messing going on, getting yeah. each other. And I came on stage and he said, this is Degsy. 
Degsy's Australian. <laughs> and I just looked him in the eye. I was like, I can't believe you've done this. Now, you know every other actor in the country would have just went, no, I'm fucking not. And continued on with the show. Is that yeah. what you did, Gussie? No. What did you do? I, I did a, an okay and not, well, I think it started off okay. I did an okay Australian accent. It definitely wavered. That is so beautiful. Yeah, for the, re- for the next 90 minutes. That's just glorious. Mm. I think that's a better kind of fuck you, though, to go, oh, I'm actually going to roll with this. Yeah. Um, and in terms of age groups, was it all for younger kids? Or at any point, do you get up into the 13, 14, 15s? And if, and if so, does that get a, a, to be a trickier thing? Um, when they're targeting audiences for theatre and young people, they're kind of cautious to not pigeonhole what ages they... they yeah. If... If you don't say what age you're you're playing when you're on stage, people will identify as the same age as themselves. Okay. You know, and that's not even just with kids. Like if, if you're playing some that happens a lot. If you're playing something and you don't tell people how old you're supposed to be or whatever, yeah. people go or even when you meet people, you go, I think it's around my age. Yeah. Because you just assume most people are around your age. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we never kind of set with Barnstorm, that was one of the things. We never really set solidly what age we would be playing okay. so that as many kids would identify with them the younger kids in terms of just focus and yeah. we're at tougher shows I did some um, puppet shows which I really enjoyed doing for a younger audience um, but then once you take like once you take out the puppet it's amazing they just yeah. don't see you anymore that's brilliant you know um, yeah I think that's fascinating because again like you said they do just have a shorter tension span like you can't do yeah. they won't stretch to a full 90 minutes yeah. or whatever um, We, me and Eva were doing a tour together of um, Little Rudolph what's okay. the show with Paul Curdy okay and we were in I think it was Ch- uh, Tume there's a theatre there it was the old cinema and we'd be chatting to the small kids now we're talking small like maybe four or five chatting to them waiting for the last girl to come in just before the show starts just kind of asking them how they got there and all and this really sweet little girl just just before we start Eva gave me the clearance and I was like okay we're going to start and she just really quietly went I'm going to cut your head off (laughs) (laughs) for the show (laughs) she's like cool so you get that even with the small ones. You That's get like, fucking terrifying. <laughs> um, you have mentioned the lovely Eva, so let's mention the lovely Eva. Uh, the lovely Eva is the lovely Eva Bartley, uh, part of the massive Brennan Irish Theatre Mafia. Yeah, are they a mafia? I think so. Um, and, no, like a loving and affectionate mafia, yeah. I mean. Um, so we talked about you coming from a theatrical family to begin with. That's a hell of a theatrical family to marry into. Uh yeah, but like it doesn't. I'm not marrying it. Married Eva. Married the rest. You didn't marry Stephen. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. They're all nice. They're all sound people. Um, when you're like when we're all around having cups of tea, yeah. you know, it's not like they're telling you how brutal you were in your last play. <laughs> Although maybe <laughs> depending. Um, is that? Is that a nice support structure to have around? Is it good to have those reference points to bounce off? Uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose. But it's like... It's, you know, I don't see it that way. Like, you know, yeah. it's like our family yeah. is... Ma happens to be a writer and the two lads happen to be actors. Yeah. Eva's parents happen to be actors. And then 
her cousins and her aunts and her uncles. <laughs> but uh, no, it's nice. I, rem- I remember on a tour of the Scottish play a long time ago, uh, Kate Brennan was on the tour with us and kind of every night I would try and convince her to unite the bloodlines and create a super actor uh, between the Brennans and the McAnally's. She weirdly didn't go for it, which I think is... Strange. I presume that's actually sexual harassment now. If you, yeah, it, that's now, that would no longer fly. Yeah. Oh well. Um, <laughs> we used to kill you. Yeah, my wife would also beat the ever living shit out of me, which is, yeah. There, are, there are a couple of issues in the way, shall we say? There were a few hurdles to overcome. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, working on camera because it feels like you've been doing an awful lot more <clears throat> film and TV stuff in recent years. Um, has that been a conscious decision, or is it just happily the gigs that are coming your way? When I. F- first started I actually was getting more ca- camera work than, than theatre like I first came out I did a stint in Fair City and then went back into it a year later before they killed that character off did you do two different characters yes are you allowed to say that out loud maybe not but <laughs> I don't know yeah yeah um, and then yeah I was picking up bits and pieces you know I did yeah. some shorts with our mates Dave Rowan and those yeah and <clears throat> and then some work down in Kilkenny with John Morton which was brilliant great crack but I kind of would pick up a day or two on things yeah a couple of times a year all the time but in the last say three or four years I've been lucky to get some nice parts yeah some nice but sorry to answer your question it's not like I focused and went you know what I'm really getting way too much theatre at the moment <laughs> I'm just I'm, I'm simply exhausted I'm spent yeah I've spent, I, I really want to target the old... Yeah, uh, no. Um, but it's been working out nicely. Yeah, I've got to do some lovely, really, really enjoyable gigs. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of them have involved Rido as well, which is, that's got to be challenging. Well, sorry, well, Rebellion did, didn't it? Rebellion did, yeah. I'm sorry you had to go was, through that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was actually good crack. We didn't get to do much scenes together. Okay. Um, but look, shooting Rebellion was... A brilliant, brilliant thing. It was great fun. Like, it was also, you know, really rewarding and amazing work. <laughs> but it was good fun as well. Yeah. Do, how do you find the crack on set versus in a theatre? Is it different? Is it better? Is it more relaxed? Is it more pressured? What there is, is um, on set is, I think... There's much more a kind of, you know your number. Okay. You know, there is there is a number. Yes. <laughs> you know you, you see it in in everything from from the call sheet that literally has the call sheet that has the number on it. <laughs> um, so if you're on things for just a day, it's hard to, you know that's that's really hard. To, yeah. Even to get like to know tone of performance is hard, but then to judge whether, you know how you fit in. Yeah. Um, and I think. You can be cautious of going. I don't want to seem as someone who's here just to have the crack because I do yeah. care about this job. But then at the same time, you want a bit of crack. I do want to enjoy my job. So yeah. if that's like having a laugh with the crew while you're waiting. But it, what's interesting is you see totally different people's approach. You can see people who are able to have a complete laugh, not a bother, and then two seconds later walk on and cry. That's a weird thing. That kind of t- pe- people who can flip a switch like that. I don't think I can do that. I think I need a bit more kind of. I, headspace I need yeah I need time for for those things like but I've seen it is amazing when you see people who can just one second they're having a laugh at you 
and then they just turn around and are straight into it. What is that, do you think? It's inhuman. <laughs> <laughs> it's not normal and it's not fucking right. I don't know. It's, you know what it is as well? It's like, so to an extent, it's practice. It's like yeah. theatre. It's like, yeah. you know, when we came out of college and you'd see, I saw Rito getting better and better because he, he was getting loads of gigs and it's practice. And it's the yeah. same, it's like the same with theatre and with, with TV. You can't expect to be really yeah. proficient either if you're only getting dribs and drabs. You need, you need. I do, I, I, the more I go on, the more I see that just that consistency of clocking up the flying hours really counts. Mm. that it kind of becomes a self-perpetuating thing that the more you're doing the more com- like success breeds success kind of thing yeah it's um, but then so when it comes to screen there's people whose heads they just have a, the head and the camera is like I'm all over that that is true they could sit there and do, they could just sit there and fart and the camera is be going that looks amazing what is he thinking about when he has, does that fart <laughs> it's true um, you know we, we often look back on careers and go, these have been particular highlights, or that's a role that stood out, or whatever. Um, you recently got to play your idol, really, in the, on screen. How, how was it to... to <laughs> how was it to become Bertie Ahern? Oh, you know what? It was, it, was, it was cool to get a part like that. Yeah. It's, it's like one of those... It's like, you know, when you're starting out, and you get a part, and you're like, Yes! And that lasts about three seconds and then you just shit yourself yeah, until oh, it starts. Shit, actually do yeah, it. Yeah, now you're just worried. <laughs> it's like the, the moment after the agent puts down the phone, you're like, brilliant! That is the highest it ever gets. <laughs> Immediately after that, it's levels of nervousness to panic and despair. Yeah. Um, so with that, I was like delighted and I remember telling my folks and they just pissed themselves laughing. But then, but then you do go, okay, there is someone who I wouldn't be the biggest fan of. Uh, uh, is but uh, is that going to affect how I end up trying to do my version of them yeah and I suppose it, it has to 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 a degree but so you played him as Richard III <laughs> <laughs> no no look I didn't want to I don't, you know I didn't want I was trying to find something to mix between like doing an impersonation impersonation of them yeah because there's enough impersonations that you know, find something and then really go for it and then everyone goes, okay, that's who he is. Yeah. Uh, so I was trying to not go for that yeah. and just go for something in between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting to play, but yeah, it's hard to play someone who, well, I, you dislike. <laughs> I've never seen you so restrained. This is fantastic. <laughs> I'm carrying a microphone, microphone around all the time. It's going to really moderate it, Gus. <laughs> um, talk to me then about... Corn Exchange. I love the idea that like sixteen year old you was doing work experience with Corn Exchange, and then cut through to things like um, Dubliners and then Dublin Lamplight. Yeah. How were those gigs to be part of? They oh, they're amazing. They're amazing, and I was very lucky. I think I I was doing. I've been doing a couple of shows with Valerie O'Connor. Directed a couple of shows that we did. Um, Valerie's the best. Yeah. She is, and she's really, she's, she's a really good director, particularly for Shakespeare. She's yeah, brilliant. And uh, we did *Midsummer Night's Dream*, and then we did a version of *Richard III* in the chapel in Dublin Castle. Yes, which for some reason I didn't see. Um, it was brilliant. It was really good. Eva was 
very, very, very good. In it. I mean, I know I'm biased, but she was. <laughs> but it was great. It was a really good cast. Uh, you know, there was loads and loads of us in it. Had you a night where you lost power or something as well? Yeah, the electricity went in all of Dame Street. It was during that first... Oh, man, the year, I'm so bad with years. But the first year of lots and lots of snow. Is that 2010? Yeah, 2010. I think that's why I didn't see it. I think I was on the road at the time of Performance Corporation. Yeah, so... Um, what was I saying? Oh, about Corn Exchange. Yeah. We had done that show, and I think... Um, I think Valerie was had done something with Annie or was doing a workshop, and I think she said to Annie, "You should, you should get Gus to do one of the workshops. I think he'd be into it, or he'd be good at." It. And I was always too scared to do the workshops. So I'd heard from yeah. Pete about them, and I'd heard from everybody tells you, you know, how petrifying they are. So I was too scared. But then Annie rang me and went, "Look, will you come and do a workshop?" And I did, and I really liked it. Did you? Yeah. Now I was scared. I was scared doing it. You know, it's uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable. It's you do get the feel. It's like doing a group audition where everybody gets to see your audition. Yeah, it's not ideally how you want to. Yeah, to audition. So, but I think that's partly. I think that's part of what gives it such high energy when you're in the workshops. Anyway, is everybody yeah. is at a high level. Yeah, but I loved them, and then was lucky enough to get cast in Dubliners, uh, which was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. No. So this is the Joy stuff had just become kind of in the public domain to people mm. go at. It's Dublin Theatre Festival. It was the Gaiety stage as well. Yeah, like that's a big special gig to be part of. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I, I used to be really, really, really nervous when I first started. Like, uh, but it, it just, I, I kind of said to myself, this really isn't helping you. <laughs> yes, I know it sounds stupid. But I was like, if this is all in your head and it's really not helping you, you need to find a way to just move on past this. Yeah. And I remember uh, somebody saying to me when I was really nervous and I fluffed a line in a play, I think in college, one of the one of the lectures went, you know, it's selfish, that level of nervousness. Because oh, wow. you're worried about what people will think of you. You're not thinking about the whole story and how yeah. we all need to tell it. You're just worried about what people think of you. So when I kind of switched that into my head, I went, okay, that's... That's what I need to tell myself to just not be nervous. It's not about you. It's about how well we can tell yeah. the story together. So, yeah, so I wasn't nervous. Now, there was, a, in that show, there was a fair few minutes of me on my Todd on that, <laughs> on that stage, strolling around Dublin as one of the two glants, which I I think maybe was a little nervous, but I just adored doing it. Yeah. You know, looking out in that auditorium. is the thing that, One of the things that really jumped out at me from that show and again like you know we knew, know each other 25 years or whatever more probably um, and having watched you work right the way along seeing you out there you know in front of whatever a thousand twelve hundred people completely holding that stage on your own was just fucking joyous to see because it's because not everyone can do it it is that thing of like in the way that sometimes people refer to kind of you know leading men or whatever there's the, there's a job as a leading man in a show to kind of carry the show to be the standard bearer and it's it's not just about being a good actor or whatever it's like but there's a certain quality to the energy of carrying a show and equally there is a certain quality to the energy of someone who can stand on a stage that size in a in a house that size and hold the attention and you fucking smashed it. I was going this is making me very happy in my life <laughs> thank you well it's true I'm just saying that because it's true um, yeah. ah look there was a lot of good people in that show you know it was um, yeah. it was it was really I, I loved it um, and then talk to me about bringing that on then for uh, 
Dublin by Lamplight. Yeah, oh man, I was I was away in um, me and Eva were away in the States for a while and I'd heard they were going to be doing it so I was really would, I was like I would love the yeah. crack at this. Because it was kind of an iconic show that was kind of in this yeah. spoken about in these mythical terms about how you know. I know I actually hadn't seen it I think I was so jealous of Rito <laughs> when he was you in couldn't it bring that I was like look, look I'm not going to see you in a view from the bridge and I'm not going to see you <laughs> don't mind I'm right you're still me mate and all but I'm not going to see you either <laughs> um, yeah but he was just talking about how you know how much you loved and also, when we did Dubliners, it was a very mix. We chose to mix levels of the style. Yeah, sure. From from none at all to a small influence of it to, to various degrees. Whereas, having seen, you know, Man of Valor and having done the workshops, yeah. I went to, oh, here's something that's completely in style. Yeah. And that, I really like that. Yeah. So... Yeah, it was it was cool to do, and it was cool to do with people like um, Louis and Rito, who are just annoyingly good at that stuff and quick and Cause, smart. Because it's a specific thing; it's not traditional comedia. It's very much the corn exchange and Annie's style. Yeah, I it's, think. it's like I think Annie's spoken about this before. You yeah, know, it's they're kind of a style that she learned in Chicago, and kind of a hybrid style of. Um, of their version of mask and yeah. their versions of what 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 are the cornix or the comedia com- uh, characters? Yeah. So uh, to kind of boil it down to the most simplistic way of of describing it is, you basically play like one of about five five emotions, which is like fear, love, anger, happiness, sadness. Yeah. But you play every single one of them. To within an inch of its life yeah. and it doesn't mean pantomime it doesn't mean you play that like first of all is accessing it on an actual emotional level as, mm-hmm. as so that you can really delve into it as hard as you can and that every single moment you're up there you are only ever in one of those states mm. and when you're in each of those states you aren't a little bit in any of them <laughs> you are and when you see people who are like Marco Holland's moment when you see people who are really good at it mm. it's incredible and it makes it makes for amazing comedy to see mm. someone go from completely in love to, to the angriest they've ever been yeah. to the happiest they've ever been that quickly it just I think it's really funny it's incongruous but it's what makes you laugh yeah and it does it gives it a, a special kind of a it does get a special kind of energy what was it like doing that at the Abbey that's going to be a happy thing yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was it's the first time I've was in the Abbey. Was it? That was the Abbey Day. Yeah. Wow. Um, it it was brilliant because the play is so much about you know. Yeah. The new national theatre. Uh, it was amazing doing it at the Abbey, and I'll never forget that week we did. We, we were lucky to get really good houses, seriously good response. Yeah. Uh, and just good, really nice cast, nice rehearsal we all loved it and it's it's one of those shows where it's really fun to like once it starts there's not you're not <laughs> it's another one where like there's no time where you go to yourself just act oh, was nice actually the way I said that line <laughs> and then you go I'm really good acting there I'm thinking to myself now I'm, 
I've lost it now because I was thinking to myself, there's none of that goes on. Yeah. You're not. You just in and do it. You're just like 100%. But it's it's great. And it was good, nice to work with like all those heads, Rito and Louis. Um, talk to me then about ambitions or aspirations for the future, maybe. Uh, is there anything specific you'd like to do more of or do less of? Um, well, with the Brown Bread Mixtape, which is like yeah. a company that me and Eva have kind of been part of for the last 10 years. And we did our f- brought a show to the Fringe there a couple of years ago and then brought it back to the project for a week. And it did really well in boats, sold out in the Fringe and then uh, pretty much sold out in the, in the Cube as well. So we're definitely going to look up writing another show for Brown Bread players. And is in a similar vein to Definitive View? No. No, oh. yeah, okay. we're gonna go for a different odd angle, I think. And um, the definitive view was we had been doing the brown bread for pretty much ten years. Yeah, uh, monthly in the above and upstairs in the stag's head. So with a huge amount of material, and we were like, "This is such a waste of this material that we should." Tr- <laughs> we kind of just went, "How do we use all this without having to go to too much effort?" <laughs> Uh, let's my, do a fringe show kind of let's do a fringe show where we don't have to learn the lines take uh, the greatest hits basically that was the other thought so yeah we took we found a kind of a an arts show pretty much like arena <laughs> um, it was funny watching Eva do Schnockte Niwuruku on arena <laughs> on the face it was brilliant over to you in the studio too Sean Rocks you salty dog <laughs> Um, yeah, so we just took them and kind of created this fake arts show and then we decided, look, if we have an equal go at everybody, nobody can get mad. Yes. So I think we just tried to lampoon as much as we could about Irish theatre and There was a lot of lampooning arts. went on. Yeah. And it was a good crack. So, yeah, for the future, I think we'll definitely be... Um, we're looking at a, a new Brown Bread show. It's just when we get time. Yeah. And then the immediate futures are off to Cork to do Lots and West. Which is massively exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's a great play. I'm looking forward to it. And that's going to be at the Everyman? At the Everyman for August. Rehearse for July and play for August. And directed by Julie Keller. Directed by Julie Keller, yeah. Fantastic, that's a lovely guy. Well, I look forward to coming down to see your play and maybe even having one pint after the show with you. We might have one point. And that, but that'd be it, though. That, we'd leave it at that. That'd be it. Uh, Gustavo, thank you so much for putting on the podcast. Port Marnock Forever, Porto Rules. You know I walk my kid to school every day past graffiti on a lamppost on the green in Tipex, where I've kind of, I think I've written Gus Loves Sheep or something like this, and that's still there to this day, which is quite an achievement. I think, yeah, I think my name is in the path at the bus stop. Is it? Mm. The 102? Yeah. I'll go and check that out. I live across the street. Um, Gus, it's been a pleasure. Nice and angle. Thanks. Bam! So there you have it, the great Gus McDonough, my old pal. Really good to hang out with Gussie for the hour and really great to listen to his insight on the business. He's a guy who, particularly his take on comedy, 
uh, I would have a huge amount of respect for and would really value um, the way he can analyse it and get it in. He's just, man, the dude's got funny bones to begin with, but um, he's really smart in his approach to it. And I'm just delighted to see that his career has really gone from strength to strength in the last couple of years. Uh, he's a guy who thoroughly deserves every success that comes his way. So, look, that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of the theatrical goings on around the country. At the Abbey Theatre, it's Ulysses, starring the brilliant Brian Burroughs. At the Gate Theatre, they've got The Snapper by Roddy Doyle. At the board, gosh, it's Flashdance, and that'll be followed by the Beach Boys. Uh, at the Mermaid, it's the Full Bloom Cabaret, and that'll be followed by the successful TD um, by John B. Keane. I have to say a shout-out to the Keane family who looked after us so well when we were down in Kerry on the Goodfather tour recently. Um, their uh, fantastic hospitality, as ever, was very much appreciated. At Theatre Upstairs, it's Well, That's What I Heard by TKB, Thomas Kane Byrne, and that is starring the brilliant Kira Ivy, who we had in Cobra's Quest back at the Fringe. Uh, that's one I'm very excited to go and to see. It's the second part in a trilogy of plays that um, that TKB is working on at the moment. He is a guy who is making serious waves around the scene, uh, and it's a dude we got to look out for. At the new theatre in Temple Bar, it's The Harvest, starring the great John Morton, and that's Smock Alley. They have Love a la Mode, and also Walkinstown coming up soon from Monkey Backstage. At the Pavilion, it's Lovers by Brian Friel, and at Dreacht, it's The Words Are There. The Viking in Clontarf has Burden's Ass, and that'll be followed by Neil Delamere. At Bewley's Cafe Theatre in the lunchtime slot, they have Molly, and that'll be followed by Sharon. Um, at the Project Arts Centre, Jesse Jones, Tremble Tremble, featuring none other than the great Alwyn Fuere. At the Everyman in Cork, they have Asking For It, which by all accounts is absolutely ripping up the stage down there. I'm so excited to see that show. At the Theatre Royal in Waterford, coming up soon, they're going to have Blackbird, starring the great Anthony Brophy and Maria Guyver. And at the Town Hall in Galway, they have the early hours, Scaramouche Jones and A Skull in Connemara. Uh, at the Lime Tree in Limerick, they have Micro Disney coming up at the Bell Table. And up north at the Lyric in Belfast, it's Frank Carson, Rebel Without a Pause from the brilliant Dan Gordon. They also have Borderland and The Fall of the House of Usher. So look, that is us. That is episode 32 in the books. Only 20 more to go, lads. And then I'm out of here once again. We will, of course, be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers but in the meantime this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast for Angus Og McAnally I'm Angus Og McAnally we'll see you next week <laughs>